We're going to look at God's Word. We're going to be encouraged by it. We're going to be challenged by it today. Um, If for no other reason than because the infinite, holy God of the universe sees fit to allow us to enter into his presence. And so I want to quickly review. Um, I'm sure by now you guys have noticed that there's a Sesame Street, Sesame Street chair sitting up here. If you can't make it out, we got Cookie Monster and Bert and Ernie and Big Bird, all kind of fun stuff. I want to review quickly as we make light of these things. What's going on up here is a few weeks ago we started a series called, as you see on the screen, Four Chair Discipling. And we've been, uh, a few weeks back, we kind of did an overview of each of these chairs. And beginning last week, we zeroed in on a chair at a time. And last week, we started with chair one, and we said, chair one is those who are spiritually dead. And those who are in, 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 those who are in chair one and are spiritually dead, they have one primary need. And that one primary need is that they would be made alive. Okay, And we talked about the reality that it is only through God, it is only through Christ and a person's faith in Christ that they can be made alive. God is the only thing with the ability, with the authority, and with the power to make dead things alive. And that's the difference between chair one and chair two, being spiritually dead and then being spiritually alive. But, as you could imagine, even if you move from chair one being spiritually dead to chair two being made spiritually alive, there's needs there as well. There's needs for the individual who is in chair two. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And you see um, there on the high chair, we still have our tag, spiritually alive, because we've moved from death to life. But you see um, on the screen before you, on our, our title slide here, the infant Chair two, so those who are spiritually alive are what we're going to call, because this is what the Word of God calls them, not just because I'm creative, because I'm really not, spiritual infants. I want to make sense of this through our time together this morning, but I want to begin with an illustration. Most of you have never heard the name of Mirhan Karimi Nasseri, also goes by Sir Alfred. Now, perhaps after hearing part of his story, you might actually learn or realize, hey, I did know who that was. Mirhan was born in Iran and in the 1970s was given refugee status to leave the country. And on his way to London under this refugee status, his refugee papers were actually stolen and it led to him being turned away. He was denied access to London because he didn't have the proper paperwork. And so now, because he didn't have the proper paperwork, not only could he not go to London, he couldn't go anywhere. He was literally stuck. It's impossible now for him to travel anywhere. So what do you do when you are in an airport with no legal documentation that enables you to leave the airport? Well, what you do, I suppose, is you make it your home. And Mirhan did just that for 18 years Mirhan lived in a terminal in the Charles de Gaulle airport in France. He would be the man whose life inspired the 2004 movie starring Tom Hanks called Terminal. Now, it was interesting because as I was looking through this a little bit, I found there was a ruling during this period when he was in the airport, like they tried to get him out of the airport, okay, but there was a ruling in France at the time that prevented the French French officials from forcing Mirhan to leave the airport, so in sense, what it did was it enabled him to live there. They couldn't make him leave, so he was free to live there. What other choice do you have? 
You don't have the freedom to leave, to go about the country, and so as long as you stay there, you're good. And so that's exactly what he did for 18 years. And it would actually be a medical issue at the end of those 18 years that would require Merhan to finally leave the terminal and go to the hospital. Now, maybe everybody here this morning doesn't fly often. Maybe you've never flown at all. And so if you haven't, and or even if you have, I want to tell you, the point of an airport terminal is merely that it would be a point of reference for movement from one place to another. We arrive in our terminal and we move along to our next destination by way of that terminal, but it's never intended that we would stay in the terminal. And that brings us to chair two. You see, I made the comment last week that the goal for all believers, the goal is not to get from chair one to chair two. The goal is not simply to be made alive. The goal is to progress to chair four, whereby you would be spiritually reproducing. So chair two is is not the landing spot. The goal or the, the, the focus, the intention, is not merely to get to chair two. Chair two is just a terminal, whereby we get from chair one to chair three. Now, don't misunderstand me. Chair two is not bad. Chair two is not bad at all. Chair two is, I I like to think, when we think about it as a terminal, I like to think of it as a launching pad, right? Because chair two is where the foundational work should be done to propel you on to chair three and then ultimately to chair four. But we cannot get away from the fact or the reality that the goal is not chair two. Now, you may be tempted to say, well, I mean... The terminal worked out for Mirhan. I suppose we could say that. What I didn't tell you was how difficult his life was for 18 years while living in an airport terminal. He slept on benches. He ate only what people gave to him. He suffered psychological issues due to being alone and never seeing the sky or breathing fresh air. He literally lived his life with earplugs in in an attempt to drown out all of the noise of the airport and all of its happening. And yes, we look at the situation, we look at the storm, we say, Mirhan survived. But he did not survive as God intended. And God does not intend that those who move from chair one to chair two being dead and then being made alive to stay there. That's not God's intended purpose. And I believe this to be true because, as I've already alluded to, I believe this is what God's word would have us to see and to know. The New Testament uses two words to describe a new believer. It uses two words to describe a new believer. Infant. Okay, and this word, we all understand the connotation that comes with the reality of an infant. It's a very clear picture. Someone who is immature and totally dependent upon others. And it also uses the word child. So it's similar in meaning, but it's used more as a term of affection or endearment towards a young child. And so together the words referring to a young believer encapsulate the idea of someone who is growing in the faith and learning the Christian life. And when people move from chair one to chair two, they are dependent upon others for help and sustenance. 
and they need nurturing and they need caring for. What we must realize is that when a person is a spiritual baby, it is normal and natural to start out dependent upon others when they're learning for themselves. Because like an infant, they must learn to walk for themselves, talk for themselves. Literally, people who become alive in Christ have to learn how to care for themselves spiritually, just like children as they grow have to learn to care for themselves physically. And the writer of Hebrews, he addresses this very thing in his letter to the Hebrews. He's writing to them and he's talking about the growth process of the believer in this particular portion. In Hebrews chapter 5, and beginning of verse 11, we read this. The writer of Hebrews says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so this is a very vivid picture of the person who comes to Christ and how God then desires to move them in their progression of the Christian life along to maturity. No, the Bible doesn't say chair one, chair two, chair three, chair four, but it does speak with pictures and illustrations that we can understand. So I want to look, just like we did last week, I want to do the same thing we did last week. I want, to, I want to start by looking at the condition of those who are in chair two. And the condition of those in chair two is that they're spiritual infants or they're spiritual babies. Either, either word is fine. Either one is synonymous. Okay? Um, and again, being a spiritual infant is not bad or wrong. Okay? This, chair two is not an indictment. But we must understand, even though it's not an indictment, it's not a sticking point. It's a launching point. Now, as we begin to look at this, I want to do, you you guys know if you've been here very long, you know it's my desire to do right by the word of God, right? And so we're going to use this text to examine this idea of growth, okay? And while being in chair two is not a bad thing, I do want you to understand that the full context of Hebrews 5 is actually a harsh criticism. Because the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, are, he's, he's actually, if you go up in chapter 5 and, and, and a little bit before that, he's talking about the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he's talking about this reality of the, the priesthood of the believers and Jesus being a, a priest in the way that, uh, in, or in the order is the phrase that the Bible uses, of Melchizedek. And so then, then what Paul is saying is, as we get down there to verse 11, he says, look, we have a lot to say about this reality, about the priesthood and about Melchizedek. But it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. And then he fleshes out why. He says, because you're spiritually immature. And that's what he says, right? And so he then, as he says that, he paints this picture of what it looks like to grow in maturity, okay? And so this picture helps us see this reality. Again, it's not bad or wrong to be in chair two, okay? But the fact that these Hebrew believers are spiritually immature is an indictment of them. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, okay? So I don't want you to feel like, well, there's this passage where they talk about milk and food and everything's hunky-dory. It's okay to be on milk, It's okay to be progressing towards solid food. It's okay to be progressing to meat. But we want to make sure that we understand that in this context, this wasn't a good thing. It was an indictment. 
the writer of Hebrews, he just says clearly, there's some who should be mature, that is spiritually mature, uh, but they're not. And so they need to be reminded, they need to be, uh, they need to be fed with the, the things that babies are fed from, milk, right? So he's speaking to those who are spiritual infants. And, and I, this is one of those examples where God's word paints a picture that is so vivid and so clear and so easily understood that we, we really can't get around it, right? Because the reality here is everything that I'm going to say today about a spiritual baby applies to a physical baby, but in terms of its physical sustenance. And we all understand that picture. I look around the room. I, 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 say, I saw, oh, there's a baby. I say, I saw Dee Lee, but she left the baby. Oh, no, Dee's right there. She, okay, so we got a baby. Scarlet, she's going to need some physical sustenance. She's going to need to be cared for. But the reality of God's word is new believers, babies, they need the same care. They need to be brought along. And the writer of Hebrews says that, in this case, these who are spiritually immature or those who are spiritually immature are those who are on milk. They're unskilled in the world of righteousness. It's been a while since my kids were infants. But the picture, as I've noted, is very clear. My children started their lives being nourished by milk. And only milk for about a year. Give or take, I didn't ask my wife, but somewhere around there. I know around a year is when we start introducing food, maybe a little earlier. By the time, you know, you get to your third or fourth one, they come out eating solid food, don't they? Get out of these kids, they got it figured out, they're resilient. But you know, for about a year, my kids, they had milk, and milk only. And they were introduced then to soft things that required no teeth, no chewing. They could gum them around, right? You guys have all, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. They get their tongue going and they move it around and, 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 and it's something soft, maybe scrambled eggs. Maybe I remember Jen about had a cow the first time her brother gave one of the girls ice cream. They never had anything dairy and he shoves ice cream in there. And they love that. You know, they work it around. They do what they need to do to be able to consume it. And this progression is the same for the new believer, and it's interesting because when the writer of Hebrews is here, he's talking about they need to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Some of our translations would say they go back to the elementary things. And that literally is to say the ABCs. He's conveying the foundation, like the foundation of reading is the alphabet. And before you can read, you must know the alphabet. And then you must learn how to put letters into words and words into sentences and sentences into paragraphs. You learn how to read. And so the writer here is, to the Hebrew people is saying that these people, they're still in the ABC stage. They're still settled on the, the elementary things. You see, it's, things we've got to understand is for the new believer, the one who moves from chair one to chair two, this isn't a bad thing because they need the spiritual ABCs. They need the foundation of God's word because God's word is clear that you can't understand the greater things until you understand the foundational things. By almost all accounts, spiritual babies are unable to feed themselves spiritually. By all accounts, there, there's, there's, you know, and it's funny too because if you've, if you've had the experience or you've had the privilege of, of, of having a relationship with somebody when they come to faith in Christ, there's this yearning, there's this longing, right? Like to know more, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And, and, and there's the kind of like you would see with a baby. Look, if you put a, a six-month-old in a high chair, okay, and they have no teeth, 
but you put a piece of steak on the tray, what are they going to do? They're going to do what babies do. And lots of times we see this same thing with spiritual babies. They want to know. Give it to me. I want to take it in. And, and, but God's word is very clear that it's okay to start foundational. In fact, that's the way God would design or would desire for us to do it. That we would take in the milk, that we would take in the elementary things or the foundational principles, and then that we would build upon them. Generally, in order for that to happen, somebody else needs to nourish the spiritual baby just like someone else needs to nourish the physical baby. There's complete reliance upon someone else to meet the need that the infant has, whether it's spiritual or whether it's physical. But what does that look like? What does that nourishment look like? What are the needs of those who are in chair two? Now again, similar to those in chair one, those who are in chair two, not only have we seen their condition, we see the reality that they too have needs. The needs are different because those who are in chair one, their need is salvation. For those who are in chair two, again, we're going to look at this, but in a general sense, their need is to, to, to grow in their understanding of the ABCs of the Christian faith, right? This person is now in Christ, having been moved to chair two, and they've been made alive in Christ, and they need to learn many new things. One of the things that the spiritual infant needs to learn, and I, and I think that this is one of the most often neglected but most foundational elements to the new believer's life. Because I would submit to you this morning that a lot of the way the new believer will begin to function or not function is rooted in what they understand about their new identity. Because Paul is very clear in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so there's a reality that for the person who is made spiritually alive, they've got this new identity. It's more of an inward identity. You don't see it. You don't look different. But we must understand and learn about this radical transformation of the new believer. I think cognitively, a lot of us understand, well, when you be, are you made alive in Christ? You know, you're, you're new. But what does it mean to be a new creation? If, if understood, as much as the new believer grows in understanding of who they are in Christ, and, and, and I believe growing in your understanding of who you are in Christ is foundational to your growth as a follower of Christ. Because you may not realize it, but when you come to faith in Christ, everything changed. Everything changed. Again, in a very similar way to the way everything changes for an infant that is born physically. Okay? Everything changes. Did you know that the Word of God lists 33 things that happen the moment that a person trusts Christ? 33 things. The Bible tells us that the new believer in Jesus is chosen, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, made alive, and many more. You see, these are realities that the new believer has to grow into understanding. Otherwise, I want to be honest with you this morning, they're just words on a page. 
If I'm not growing in my understanding of what it means to be chosen, of what it means to be redeemed, of what it means to be forgiven, they're just words on a page. The Bible talks a whole lot about forgiveness, but do we really understand forgiveness? And before we can really understand forgiveness, we have to ask the question, do we really understand, if we're in Christ, that we've been forgiven? Because understanding that we have been forgiven is foundational to understanding forgiveness. You can imagine, hopefully already with me, I mean, this is the epitome of drinking from a fire hose, right? And trying to sort out and sift through what the Word of God says and teaches. But the Word of God is not just words on a page. They're not just feel good. God's word is not designed to make us feel good. It's designed to give us purpose and understanding of who we are and who God is. And when understood, I want you to understand something that changes our lives. It should. I mean, you think about what we were singing just a few minutes ago. Do you understand the magnitude of the words, I am When God appeared to Moses in a burning bush in the desert and said, go get my people out of Egypt. And he said, well, who am I going to say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. Listen, that was all they needed. Two words. Two words. I am is all the people in Egypt who were held in bondage, who were held in captivity. Two words was all they needed to hear to know that it was God who was bringing them out of Egypt. And when you're chosen, when you're adopted, when you're redeemed, when you're forgiven, again, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. you got to understand this morning, hopefully at least growing in your understanding, that you have relationship with that God. The same God who made everything as you know it. The same God who literally gave you the breath that is in your lung right now while you're sitting here listening to me. You think you're breathing on your own, but you're not. You think you are in control of your life, but you're not. There literally is one who has sovereign control over everything. Literally everything. And when we are made alive, we are a part of his family. We're adopted. We're now heirs with Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God. Now listen, I get it. You may be thinking, well, that sounds good. I mean, we get the picture. You know, you get adopted, kids and families. The magnitude of this, I don't think, probably can ever really on this side of eternity be fully comprehended. That's how great it is. The new believer has to grow in their understanding of their identity in Christ because it is so revolutionarily different than their identity prior to Christ. So he... Know who we are according to our identity, but, but our identity, not only is it something that we know we understand, but it establishes, you know, who we are. It's how we're known, right? Um, you know, we've been going to some, it's that time of year where you go to like high school open houses, graduation parties, we call them open house in Michigan, I don't know what they call them here, grad, grad parties, I think. And you know, a lot of times you go to them, and, and you know what you see happen, you don't realize that like, you know who people are by, by who they identify with or how. Like yesterday I was talking to a guy at a table at the, one of the uh, 
grand parties we were at. And somebody walked up and said, oh, you're so-and-so's dad. So that's part of his identity. You're so-and-so's dad. You're so-and-so's husband. You're so-and-so's wife. It's the same way when we're in Christ. It's our identity. It's, it's who we are. And so not only do we need to know our identity, but, but infant believers need to learn how to walk on their own. Babies need to learn how to walk. Infant believers need to learn how to walk. I'm looking around the room. Most of us in here are old enough that we've seen a baby or an infant take their first steps or something very close to it, right? And let's be honest today. It's a great joy and it's a great celebration when a baby takes its steps for the first time, right? We applaud them. We cheer them. We, you know, we, it's lovely, But what's even better than seeing a physical or seeing a child take physical steps for the first time is the joy that's accompanied seeing a spiritual infant begin walking according to the scriptures. Seeing the word of God begin to transform their thinking and and what God has said and how God has revealed that we are to function and we are to operate and we are to live our lives for his glory. When you see those things start to take root in spiritual infants' lives, I'm going to tell you right now, and, and I, I know you may think, well, of course that's because, you're, you know, you, you, you're, you're a pastor. Like, there is nothing. John said it. Nothing brings me more joy than to know that my children are walking in the Spirit. And that's not just that our kids grow up and come to know Jesus. It's that those who were with and were a part of, and in some cases those who we led to faith in Christ, that we see them walking with Jesus. That's, that's the ultimate joy, Right? See other people come to faith in Christ and to walk. And just like helping a child physically walk for the first time, is that easy? No. In fact, it's one of the most unnerving times as a parent. We had JoJo out here in the parking lot last week learning to ride her bike. And so here I am in some flip-flops with socks on. Kudos to you, Raj. Flip-flops and socks on, okay? And JoJo's trying to ride her bike. She's deathly afraid. She, I got to stay right next to her. And I'm doing the old man shuffle, you know? And I got the socks on with the sandals to prove it. And, my, and, my, and Jenna sent a video to our family because JoJo, you know, she was getting it. She figured it out. And, of course, my sister-in-law was making fun of my old man run. But here's my point. Why was I running right next to Joella as she was riding her bike? Because what's the worst thing that could happen? She can fall over. She can tear up her knees. Of course, she got a helmet on, you know, but she's going to skin her elbows. Is it not the same way when our kids are learning to walk? Everything that they do, we're like, oh, oh, oh. We don't want them to fall. We don't want them to bounce off the table. We don't want them to, you know, we, that's why we give them these walkers and we give them all these things. So when kids are learning to walk, it's not always easy. It's going to include falls. There's going to be bumps and there's going to be bruises. Look, it's the same way when we're helping people grow and mature spiritually. The Christian life is not this. I wish it was, but it's not. It's this. But hopefully your trajectory is higher and your valleys are not as low each time you go through them. But the Christian life is full of bumps and bruises. And we must understand that as we're trying to help spiritual babies take spiritual footsteps. They need to learn to talk. It's not just walking. Spiritual babies need to learn to talk. They have to articulate what God has done in them if they're ever going to tell others. 
I have to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in me and for me if I'm ever going to be able to tell anybody else about it. And so more mature believers, those in chairs three and four, they come alongside and they help by demonstrating things like, what is a testimony? What does it mean to tell somebody about how you've come to faith in Christ now that you're in chair two? What, what does it mean to articulate with biblical precedence that you're now in chair two instead of chair one? Can you tell people how God is now growing you? Oftentimes our testimony is about something that happened previously. And there's an element of that that's true. But I would submit that's where our testimony began And now we're talking about our testimony includes what God is doing in us now and how it is that he's growing us now. You see, we see this in the word of God. We see the the development of these testimonies and the ability of these people to give testimony and praise and adoration to God for what he's done in them and saving them and how it is that he's now growing them. This is a part of being in chair two. We're learning how to talk. We need to know how to talk. And new believers also, just like babies, they need to learn to feed themselves. Babies who try to feed themselves, they do two things. They make a mess and they starve. You give a baby a spoon and a cup of applesauce, applesauce, and say, feed yourself, baby, and you turn around and walk off. When you come back, not only will that baby have not eaten much of that applesauce, but it's going to be everywhere. You ever seen a baby that doesn't know how to use a spoon yet? Use a spoon? It's what it is. I remember one time, Jilly had spaghetti. You remember this? And I was a cut up all nice and neat. You know, she ain't even like six months old at this point. You know, she's obviously eating some food. And she's got it on the tray there, you know, and stuff. And he come back in the room and she was, she'd thrown spaghetti everywhere. And so we found not only did she make a mess of things, but she didn't need it because she threw it on the floor. <laughs> she couldn't eat it, right? Because it was no longer there in front of her. Physical babies who try to feed themselves exclusively, they do two things. They make messes and they starve. You see, part of the relationship building with those who are in chair two, those who, as we've said, are less mature, it's not bad or wrong, it's just less spiritually mature, is teaching them to open God's word and to study it, not just read it. A lot of people read God's word, but a lot of people don't study God's word. And there's a difference. That's why Pastor Aaron's teaching in discipleship class what is inductive Bible study. How do we study our Bibles? Merely reading something and taking in information is probably not going to transform our lives. But studying the word of God and beginning to dive deep into it and draw out, not take into it what we think, but to get into it and draw out what the writer of whatever it is we're studying is communicating, that transforms our lives. And so we have to learn to study the Bible. You see, there is no such thing as inductive Bible reading, but there is inductive Bible study whereby believers learn to study, to know and understand God's truth. But here's the thing. Nobody learned, well, I shouldn't say nobody because you can. There's books and resources and things. Generally, new believers don't learn how to study God's word on their own. Somebody shows them how to do it. 
Somebody teaches them or tells them how to study God's word so that they can know and understand God's truth. And, one of the, and I'm going to give you one more thing that they need. And this, this list, of course, is not exhaustive, but it's just some of the things that we see fleshed out here. New believers also need to learn how to live a life that is cleansed of sin and honors God. When we think about physical children, I don't know that there's anything better than when they're potty trained. The one exception to that may be when they finally figure out that they don't have to run by the toilet to vomit on the floor. They could just vomit in the toilet on their way to the floor. But apart from that, the greatest thing when you're raising kids is when they're potty trained. And we all understand why, right? Because it's a mess. It's dirty, it's nasty, and it's gross. I want you all to understand something. When you were dead in Christ, your life and you, you were dirty, nasty, and gross. And you need to be cleansed. And you need to learn how to live a life that is cleansed of the dirtiness, the nastiness, and the grossness of the world that we live in. You need to learn how to live a life that honors God. This is that progression from milk to solid food. Because he says, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So there's a skill that comes with learning and, and growing. As hard as you might try, you will not inherently know what pleases the Lord. You need God's word to teach you what's pleasing to the Lord. See, now you understand why we need to learn how to study the Bible. So that we can know what God expects and we can know how it is that we could be pleasing to him and how it is that our lives can and should look different than they do now that we're spiritually alive, not spiritually dead. And just in a foundational level, new believers live a life that honors God when they learn about and how to confess sin, understanding God's forgiveness. And what about walking in the power of the Spirit? Just allowing the Holy Spirit of God that now dwells within us when we were made alive in Christ to, to, to guide us and lead us in conjunction with his word. We have to learn how to do that. The spiritual baby doesn't know in and amongst themselves how to do that. They must learn. I'm convinced far too many new believers are left to themselves and they're left to try to figure it all out for themselves. I've told you before, um, I'll probably tell you again, that I believe that I'm standing here today because I wasn't left on my own to figure it out. I have no shame in that whatsoever. Because in some way I understand the depth of my depravity. And that I would have been content to just waller in the muck and the mire of the world that we live in. And even after making a profession of faith in Christ, I did that for a while. Because there was a season where I didn't have somebody teaching me. And then I did. And I had somebody who walked with me through things. Who not just looked into God's word with me, but who walked with me. Who lived life with me. Yes, we looked at God's word together. It's the foundation of our spiritual growth. Okay, but I knew the individual that I met with on a weekly basis, I, he cared about me. He cared about me. We had a relationship. I wasn't just a notch in his Christian belt. I wasn't just now saved. Yes, we got somebody from chair one to chair two. Next. 
It wasn't that at all. It was a man in his mid-70s who understood the calling of God to help people grow into maturity. And he said, I'm going to give up myself to help this happen. And as much as I availed myself to him, he availed himself to me. I've jumped ahead from the needs to the ministry to those who are in chair two. We saw this last week, same thing. To the ministry to those who are in chair two. You know, again, sometimes I think one of the things that plagues the church is we see people move from chair one to chair two and we think we're done. The task has been completed. They're saved now. They're good. But just because somebody moves from chair one to chair two does not mean that they do not need to be ministered to. And we must always keep in mind that the ministry to them is, is, is not about just making them comfortable in what they're learning, learning, not making things convenient, but it's about helping them to mature as workers for Christ. And so I want to give you four principles to ministering to those in chair two. Last week it was seven, so we're doing better. First, without immediate nurture, new believers will struggle, and in many cases they will not survive. And I cannot paint a more vivid picture of this reality than that of a physical baby. If a physical baby is not nurtured, the parents who are responsible for nurturing it are charged with neglect. And every one of us in this room would say, rightfully so. Yep, they should be. You ought not neglect children. I think about this picture, and I think about our, our quick agreement, again, and rightfully so, to condemn someone who would not physically care for their children. I, I think of this interaction. You, uh, you're probably, some of you, many of you are probably familiar with this. You know the account of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And um, Nathan the prophet comes to him. And he, and he sets, he tells him this story, you know, and, he, and, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but he says, you know, David, King, what should happen to the man who takes from his neighbor who has little, uh, even though he has much, and he takes from himself, and what should we do with this man? And David says, well, that man should be killed. And if you know the story, the account, you know that Nathan looked at, looked at David and said, David, that man is you. And I want you to understand something. My heart is grieved by how the church today does this with spiritual babies. We rightly condemn physical neglect, but we are just fine with spiritual neglect. It's not okay. It's not okay. Because the Word of God says that these believers are to be growing up. And none of us expect a physical baby to raise itself None of us, every one of us thinks that it would be asinine to expect a child, an infant, a baby to raise itself, to nurture itself, to, to minister, to, to meet its own needs. You can't, we wouldn't do that. It's insane. But isn't that what we do so often with spiritual babies? We neglect them. Second principle, we must give personalized attention to the basics of Christian living. And we've talked about this, so we're rehashing this, right? 
Walking, talking, and eating are all things that responsible parents teach their children how to do. I, I, I do not want my kids to choke. To this day, I cut my nine-year-old's grapes in half. Yeah, y'all are like, jeez, this dude's extreme. I don't tell you about a year ago, Jenna choked on a grape, and she's 36. I love you, honey. Why? Because everybody says, like, the most dangerous thing for kids to eat is grapes. I'm like, cut them in fours, cut them in half again. Because I don't want my kids to choke. I don't want my kids to to get bogged down, right? We have to pay attention to the things that our kids need physically, and we have to do the same thing spiritually. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It cannot be a just come one, come all, and we're going to meet everybody's needs collectively. We can't do that. That's why we see all throughout Scripture, we see, Paul says, I think he wrote Hebrews, but we don't know for sure. So in the same vein of what we see here in Hebrews 5, this is why we looked at, for seven weeks I preached 2 Timothy 2.2. One verse, seven weeks, where Paul said what? Paul said, find men who will, if you don't have them, make them, who will teach other men, who will teach other men the things that they have learned or that you have learned from me. Four generations of men in one verse. This is what God's word declares should happen in the church. That spiritual babies should be met where they're at and that they should be nurtured up and they should learn how to walk like a follower of Jesus. They should learn how to talk like a follower of Jesus. They should learn how to live like a follower of Jesus. And this happens not when everything is a come one, come all grab bag. There's personal attention that needs to be given because just like we talked about in in moving from chair one to chair two, it's different, right? Why? Because everybody's different. Even, I mean, just look in our room, just look at the, the, and I don't know how they all break down. You know, they say every 20 years is a generation. How many different generations are represented just in this room this morning? You all don't learn the same. We, we, we are not all on the same plane. We are not all on the same wavelength. We do not all function the same way. And so we must understand that caring spiritually for uh, spiritual babies is a matter of personalized attention as much as you can give it, right? Like, I understand, you, we can't meet every need in the world. The church can't. We try to meet as many as we can. Third principle, we must not forget the importance of our identity as we minister. We minister because of who we are in Christ, because of what Christ has done. And we do it for his glory. Another principle, last one, fourth, spiritual children need a family. The church ought to seek to minister to people in all four chairs, not just some of them. Whether that's just one of them, just two of them, or just three of them. The aim, the goal of the church has got to be to minister to all four chairs. Because everybody in this world is in one of those four chairs. So the church can't have a ministry that's only geared towards one of them, or two of them, or even three of them. The church's ministry has to be geared in such a way that we're meeting all the needs as best we can of all four chairs. Because spiritual children need a family. 
I want to close with three challenges. Again, this is similar to last week. Challenge number one this morning is to those who are in chair two, our chair of observation this morning. If you believe that you are in chair two, are you maturing towards reproducing? If you would say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, are you spiritually maturing? Now remember, there is not a timeline, but the goal is progress in our growth and in our making of disciples. Because chair four is the goal, not chair two. We can't go from two to four because we don't have the foundation. So we have to mature. We have to progress from chair two to chair four. So if you're in Christ this morning, if it's your testimony that you've trusted Christ by faith, are you maturing spiritually? Are you maturing spiritually? Challenge number two this morning is to those who are in chair one. I know this morning our attention was to chair two, but what about to those who are in chair one? Those of you who are in chair one, your challenge is the exact same as it was last week. Repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. Because if you are in chair one, you are spiritually dead and you need to be spiritually alive. And the only thing that does that is faith in Christ. Nothing will change your condition apart from salvation. Okay? You can't try harder. You can't be better. I don't want to unpack it. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it. Undale Bible Church YouTube page. That was a shameless plug. But you know, maybe you're here this morning and you think, I don't even know if I am in chair two. Go home, watch last week. Look at our examination of chair one and see the condition, the needs, and how to minister to those who are in chair one. Maybe, maybe some of us are in chair one. Maybe we think we're in two, three, four, somewhere along the way. Maybe, maybe we're in chair one. Maybe we need to be made alive. So challenge number two this morning is to those who are in chair one, repent and believe in Jesus. And challenge number three this morning is to those who are in chairs three and four. Are you growing and being used by God for the maturation of those who are in chair two so that they can help in the work of reaching those who are in chair one? It's just a cycle of reproduction. I know when you reduce it to that, it sounds terrible, don't it? Like it's just this machine that you get functioning. And no, that's not the goal. But the word of God is very clear that the the church of Jesus Christ is to be made up of people who are maturing in Christ's likeness and making disciples, helping them to come to faith in Christ and then mature in their faith in Christ. So are you growing and being used by God for this maturation? And so as you mature... Secondly, you see, we're to be seeking meaningful relationships for the purpose of seeing those who are in chair one be redeemed. So if we're further along, if chair, chair, you know one of the, the most common things I get with spiritual infants is when they come to the place where they realize that if this is all true, that everyone is spiritually dead and the only thing that makes a person spiritually alive is the cross where Jesus was crucified, where he was then uh, laid in the tomb and three days later rose from the grave. And faith in that, if that's the only thing that makes us spiritually alive, when I interact with people who are new to this being spiritually made alive, you know what I find from them? You know what all of them want? 
I just need to tell people. I just need to tell more people. I need to tell this person, and I need to tell this person, and I need to tell this person, because if this is true and they're dead, they need to be made alive. So I need to tell this person, I need to tell this person. Can I just level with you all for a second? Most people in chair three and four don't have half as much zeal for the lost as those in chair two. If you're in chair three or chair four this morning, are you maturing in your Christ-likeness and that you're helping others come to know Christ? Are you building relationships that may not center on a Bible study? They may center on getting to know someone so that they can know that you care about them, that they're not a notch in your belt, that they're not an accomplishment or a trophy. That's the challenge for those of us who are in chair three and chair four. So whatever chair you're in this morning, if you're in the first two, we've seen the conditions of those chairs, the needs of those chairs, and how to minister to those who are in those chairs. And so whatever chair you're in this morning, none none of this is idle, right? None None of the Christian life is idle. And so may we be a people who desire to grow, to progress from milk to solid food so that we can help others do the same. So that this idea of making disciples from generation to generation could continue to carry on. That the church would grow and that Christ would be glorified. That's our challenge. That's our task this morning. Let's pray together. God, I just pray for wisdom for all of us regardless of which chair we're in. I pray, God, that you would give us a desire and a zeal, God, to see dead people made alive. And not just that that would be the end of our zeal, but, God, that we would desire to see them grow and to be like Jesus and then themselves to reproduce. Help us to be challenged today, God, by the reality that the picture in Scripture of a spiritual baby is... It's identical to everything we know and believe to be true about physical babies. We don't expect babies to survive on their own. We do everything in our power to nurture them and to nourish them and to help them grow and bring them along. God, may we have the same desire and passion for spiritual babies. Encourage us today, God. I pray that we wouldn't leave today feeling like chair two is a bad place to be feeling like it's wrong to be in chair two. It's not in any way, God, and we know that. We've seen that from your word. It's a great thing to be made alive. But I pray, God, that you would help those of us who are in chair two to not be content to stay. The terminal at the airport was never meant to be lived in. And spiritual infanthood is never meant to be lived in. So help us, God, to grow, to be more like Jesus. And bring those into our lives who are further along than we are that they might speak into our lives, that they might challenge us, that they might love us, God, that they might build a relationship with us, that they could help us on our journey. Father, we're just thankful for your goodness today. I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy, God, that makes dead things alive. And I'm thankful today, um, God, that this life is a life of progress. None of us are perfect. And we all need your grace. And I pray, God, that you would help us to live in sensitivity to your grace and to your mercy. And we would strive to help those who are less spiritually mature grow in maturation in Christ. All of this, God, for your glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray.